Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 15 to 23. And let's remember as we hear this that this is God's Word inspired by the Holy Spirit without error, the only infallible rule for faith and life. Colossians chapter 1 beginning at verse 15. He, that's Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister." One of the things that I love to do on hymn sing nights, this is something we've been doing for a little over a year now is hymn sing nights, is I like to find a portion of scripture that speaks to each of the hymns that we are singing. So what I usually do is I will wait till I see all of the hymns that have been recommended by the congregation. We select from that list. We have to, it's it's usually a, a list of a ton of hymns, right, that we got to narrow down to like six or seven hymns, which is always an excruciating process. But once I find out about those six or seven, I'm like, all right, what is a passage of scripture that fits with these, these, you know, few hymns that we have for the evening? And a year ago, when we did this for the first time, I got what I thought was an incredible compliment in, uh, in, I won't tell you who said it. (laughs) I thought it was great, but he came up to me after the service and he goes, Now, you chose those hymns after choosing your text for the evening, didn't you? Now, you're going to have no idea who that was who talked to me in the congregation, but I thought that was a great compliment because it meant that I was able to hit all of those. Now, I hope that you might think the same thing this evening. Here are some of the hymns that we have sung and will be singing throughout the rest of the evening. There is a fountain, right? There is a fountain filled with blood, flows, flowed from Emmanuel's veins. That was one of them. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. The third was, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, and in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. Victory in Jesus is another one that we sang. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. 
How Great Thou Art is one of the hymns that we will be singing after the sermon that talks about how when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds that thy hand have made. And we will conclude the service by singing Crown Him with Many Crowns, which talks about how he's king. One of my favorite parts of that song is he sits at God's right hand till all his foes submit. So knowing that those are all the hymns of our hymn sing night, here are some of the themes that I discern from all of those hymns. We worship God, we worship our God and our Savior Jesus because he is the king, because he's the creator of all things, and because he's saved us by his blood. Well, I'll tell you what, I think that Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 23 is exactly the portion of scripture to give to us that contains within it all of those themes that we have sung about and will be singing about this evening. Colossians 1, 15 to 23. So here's what Colossians 1, 15 to 23 does. It starts by telling us who Jesus is. It says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. That's Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. What is that passage telling us? What does that mean that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God? Well, what it is saying to us is that Jesus is the perfect picture of the heavenly father. He is the exact likeness of God the Father. Verse 19 says this, that in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus Christ is the exact likeness of the Father. All of the fullness of God the Father dwells in Jesus Christ. What this portion of scripture is telling us is that Jesus could not be more God. Jesus is completely and totally God. He is the perfect picture of who God is. If you want to know, to get a good sense of who the Father is, the Father being invisible, the Father being spirit, the Father being shielded from our vision and sight, we'll take a look at the perfect image of the Father, his Son, who came to earth. And as all the fullness of God the Father was pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ, therefore, we cannot get to know the Father any better than by looking at his son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth to dwell among us, to tell us who is the Father. He is God. So when we sing, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all of the worlds that thy hands have made, We're singing to the triune God, Father and Son and Spirit. Jesus Christ is rightfully the object of our praise and worship when we sing. He's God. That's who Jesus is. He's the creator. Jesus Christ is the creator for by him, says verse 16, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is some beautiful poetic language involving parallelism. It talks about how the entirety of creation was created by Jesus Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. Things that are visible and things that are invisible. The thrones, the powers, the rulers, the authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And in him all things are held together. 
Jesus is the one who has created all things, and Jesus is the one that so upholds them that they are able to continue. Jesus is not the sort of creator that just speaks everything into creation, into existence, and then walks away and leaves it to be. No, Jesus is the one through whom God created all things, God the Father created all things, and he is the one who upholds and sustains all things even now. So great is the power of our Lord and our God and our Savior Jesus Christ that he not only brought all things, visible and invisible, into existence, he also upholds all of them so that we continue to exist. There's a theologian several hundred years ago, John Edwards, who, who talked about how, Jonathan Edwards talked about how if, if Christ were to remove his sustaining hand from creation for just a moment, we would cease to be. So important is the sustaining power of God, our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that if he were to remove that sustaining hand, we would become unraveled and cease to be. God is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And so we sing, O Lord my God, when I am awesome, when I in awesome wonder consider all of the worlds thy hands have made, and we realize that all things, visible and invisible, all of them have been made and created through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is also king, also king. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, says verse 15. Now, some have tried to take that verse and twist it and say that there was a time when Jesus didn't exist. They say, you know, Colossians 1 verse 15 says that Jesus is the first one born. That must mean that he was the first thing created and then everything else came after him. That's a twisting of Colossians chapter 1, those who try to say that. Colossians chapter 1, by saying that Jesus is the firstborn, is not trying to say that he was the first one created. Jesus has always been. Jesus will always be. What Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 is telling us is that Jesus Christ is the king. To the original folks that were receiving this portion of scripture, to these Christians, these Jewish and Gentile Christians living in Colossae, they would have known what it meant to be the firstborn. It would have been a positional place. It would have been the one who is destined to rule and to reign. It means more than the first one to come into being. It means the one who has the right to rule. Now, pretty recently, the whole world was captivated by the royal wedding, right, between Prince Harry and and Meghan Merkel. But Harry is not the firstborn. That's William. And because he's not the firstborn, it means that he's not the one who's destined to rule. Here's what Psalm 89 has to say about it. You can turn to Psalm 89 if you'd like, but I'm just going to read it, and so feel free to just listen here to some of the words of Scripture from Psalm 89. This is the Lord speaking about his anointed. He says, My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. And I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, Psalm 89 is talking in its original context. It's talking about David. And one of the things that you know, if you know biblical history, is that David was not the first one born in his family. David was not the first child that was born to his, his father, Jesse. David was, uh, in fact, not particularly well regarded by his family. And when Samuel came to anoint the next king, Jesse just had David stay out in the field. His more impressive sons were the ones that he was going to present to the prophet to be anointed to become king over Israel. David was the one that was forgotten. He was younger. He watched over the sheep. 
And yet, what God is saying to us in Psalm 89 is that when he looked at David, he said, I'm going to make David, I'm going to make him my first, I'm going to make him the firstborn. That's not that God's going to, going to sort of snap his fingers and make David to be the first one that was born in the family of Jesse. What he's saying is, I'm going to make David the one that's king. I'm going to make David the one that has the right to reign and the right to rule. I'm going to make David king, is what he's saying. This passage is speaking of David as being firstborn. And this passage reaches its full completion, its fulfillment in Christ Jesus. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. It's amazing how the scriptures work this way. So often there is an interpretation that makes sense in the original context. And there's one that makes sense only and fully and most completely in Christ Jesus. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. So David was made the firstborn, the one that was destined to rule, but it was Christ Jesus who was guaranteed to become the highest and greatest king, the one who would take the throne of his father David and rule forever and ever and ever and ever. Christ is the firstborn of all creation. That means that he is king. And he's the firstborn of all creation. That means he rules every part of creation. There is no part of the world that we see. There is no part of the world that we cannot see where Christ is not the king. He rules over all of it. Seen, unseen, thrones, powers, dominions, rules, authority. Christ is king over all of it. Jesus Christ is king. Rejoice. The Lord is king. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Why should we crown him with many, king, with many crowns? Because he is the king, the one who should be crowned. He is the firstborn. There is nowhere that you or I can be where Christ is not in charge, where he is not king. Christ is the one who upholds all things. Now, when you and I finish the service together when we go home, it's important for us to realize that Christ is in control, that he is king. This is challenging, right? This is challenging. It's difficult to remember. It's difficult when we experience pain in our lives. It's difficult when we experience difficulty in personal relations or sickness in our bodies. It's difficult to remember that Jesus Christ is king, that he is the one who reigns, that he is the one who has been crowned with many crowns. You know, just this week we heard of situations within our own congregation, within our own fellowship. We're very, very sad. We heard about the return or the advancement of cancer. We heard about parents who need to be placed on hospice care. We heard of the tragic loss of a daughter or a sister. And when those things happen, when tragedy strikes, it's only natural, I think, for us to pause and say, what happened, God? I thought that you were the one who was in control. Is Jesus not on the throne? I mean, is there a part of the world that he can't control? 
Is there a place where he's not king? What's going on? Yet Jesus does still reign. And I think, well, this speaks to the importance of of being together as God's people. It, It speaks to us of why we've got to be in church. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 talks about how he, 15, 16 and 17 talks about how he's king, about how he's created all things, about how he sustains all things. But it's really brought home actually in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. And he is the head of the body, the church. It is so tempting to start to believe that some other force or, or some other series of happenstance or, or, or fate or chance may be that which is in control, and that's why it is so important for us to be in God's house. Because Christ is the head of the body, the church, and right now, Christ rules among enemies, among all of those who, who seek to deny his lordship and his kingship. In the church, he reigns clearly. In the church, he rules clearly. It's so important for us to be together and to hear the truth of the gospel message, to hear the truth of the Bible's story that reminds us that God is in control. And whenever the storms of life may assail us, Christ is our anchor. And the place where we hear about him is his house, is the church. He's the head of the body, the church. And so when we come together, we're reminded again, Christ is in control. In the world, you, you and I will have trouble because Christ is still ruling among, among his enemies that seek to oppose him. He's not yet returned. He's not yet made all things new. But in the church, here we acknowledge his lordship. You know, tonight we're installing elders and deacons, and this is an incredibly important principle for every elder and every deacon. The authority of the church resides with Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. The one who runs the church, it's not the elders, it's not any deacon, it's not the pastor, it's Jesus Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And all of us, all of us do well to remember that important fact. And especially all of the elders and deacons that are going to stand up here later in the service, all of the elders and deacons that are going to come on to be a part of the council, remember the authority that you exercise is not your own authority, but you are a minister of Christ's authority when you are an elder or a deacon. You are, not the, you are not the final word in the church. I am not the final word in the church. Christ is the final word in the church and Christ alone, only him. Our churches aren't run by our own preferences or thoughts or desires or wills because we're not, we're not the head of the body. Christ is. And we do well when we follow his leading and when we crown him with many crowns and recognize him as king of the church. As the passage goes on here, We're told that that Jesus has accomplished an an ending of our loneliness, the end of our alienation. We're told this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in verse 19 and then 20 and 21 and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. 
And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Christ has ended our loneliness. We're told in verse 21 that once we were alienated, we were hostile in mind, we were doing evil deeds. Now this implies that that what we had in relation to God before Christ redeemed us was isolation, was loneliness, was a deep breach, was a sense of not belonging. Before Christ came and redeemed us, we were cut off from God the Father and therefore we were lonely. We were alienated, we were separated. Now, whenever you, are, whenever you are lonely, there is only one thing that, that really does the trick to end that loneliness. Now, you might know this. My wife went to Denver this week, and so I was lonely. I was very lonely without my wife and without my little baby girl. And so I realized I need to be physically present with other people. And so my friend Eros and I went to a movie, which was great. A couple other friends, and Dan Vanderplotz as well. I don't want to leave Dan out. He was also a part of the movie group. And Brendan DeBoer. A couple other friends. We went to dinner because, because I was lonely and I needed to be physically present with other people to try to end that loneliness, right? And so since we were alienated, separated, cut off from God, we needed a physical presence to end that loneliness and alienation. And that's exactly, exactly what Christ does. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Colossians is so clear. Christ came physically, and to end that alienation, he had to become physically present by his body of flesh. And then to make peace between us and the Father, he shed his blood, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 20, Christ brought us redemption by the shedding of his blood, and he ended our loneliness and alienation by becoming physically present, by giving to us his body at the cross, and by shedding his blood at the cross. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, and in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. Or there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. He made peace by his physical body and by the shedding of his blood. Well, the way that we should end this message is to ask how we should respond. Having heard about these truths of who Christ is, about the fact that he is is God, that he is the creator, that he is king, having heard that he alone is able to end our alienation and our loneliness through his physical body given for us at the cross and the shedding of his blood which was shed upon the cross, I want to suggest that there are two ways for us to respond. Two ways for us to respond. Here's the first. Faith is the first way for us to respond. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Faith. Believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus. It is so sweet to trust in him. Having heard all that Christ has accomplished, trust in him. Take him at his word. Find yourself plunged beneath the flood and lose all your guilty stain. Trust, believe, have faith, abide in Christ. And the second way, the second way that we should respond is by rejoicing. 
is by rejoicing. Now, Paul, it, I'm just going to have to move into verse 24 here. I, I can't keep it contained to 15 to 23. I've just got to burst into the next portion of scripture here. So Paul goes on, and, he, and having given to us this rationale for, for living life, he then says in verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up with slacking Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that's the church. So having told us all about Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished and calling us to faith, he says, now I rejoice. Trust in Christ and rejoice. Trust and rejoice. Sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Make known the faithfulness of God. Rejoice. Lift up your voice and sing. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Jesus, you are God. You are creator. You are king. You are the one who has made peace. You have brought redemption by your blood. You have ended our alienation. Therefore, I will trust in you and I will rejoice. Let's do more of that. Our God and our Father, we thank you for these strong words that are contained in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 24. We pray that we would see Jesus and believe in him as creator, God and King. And we pray that we might trust in Him. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through His Word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to Him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.